0: Right rug flooring.
2: Beyond the beauty is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Bobby Brown. I get asked a lot of questions from so many women about what to do to stay looking young, to stay looking healthy. My advice is always the same: start with what you're putting in your body. Number one. And then, you know what, there's so many things that you could do to look better without altering the way you look. So my philosophy of aging, and I don't even like that word because we are all aging, and that's a good thing. It's not negative. But my philosophy is, if there's things that are really bothering you, examine how you could make them better without changing your face. I am not a fan of fillers because most fillers I could see when people put it in their face, It doesn't always work perfectly. I'm sure there are plenty of fillers in people's face that look great. I have seen a lot that haven't. Do I wish I had less lines in my face? Yes, but I don't even bother that energy because there's nothing I could do about it. And I find that when I'm rested and I am hydrated from the inside out and I have the right moisturizers and creams on my skin, I can handle my age. I wanted to have a dermatologist on the podcast because there's so many questions I want to ask him about what can be done without altering your face. I first started seeing Dr. Glasshofer because I was concerned about thinning hair and just what happens to hair as you get older. He also has a condition called alopecia, which means he doesn't have any hair, but he happens to be a hair loss expert, probably because he was a hair loss patient. He has a lot to teach about our concerns. Here's my conversation with Dr. Mark Glasshofer. Dr. Mark Glasshofer. Is that how I said it? That's correct. Okay, pretty good. A dermatologist, but more than a dermatologist, an expert in not only skin, but also an expert in hair loss.
3: Yes, that's correct. So I'm an expert in hair loss as well as I'm a fellowship trained in Mohs micrographic surgery and cosmetic dermatology. And for those who don't know, Mohs surgery, spelled M-O-H-S, Uh, named after the surgeon who invented the the technique as a way of delicately removing skin cancers from usually head and neck and other sensitive areas of the body.
2: Ah, okay. Well, very interesting. The other thing about Dr. Glasshofer, he's my dermatologist, and I went to see him first because of hair loss. And when I walked in to say hello, because he was recommended to me by another dermatologist, and when I went in to say hello, the first thing I noticed is that he didn't have any hair. So your story is that you were diagnosed as a kid with alopecia?
3: Yeah, so it, it is ironic that I've gotten into this uh, field. You know, when people walk in, they're dealing with hair loss, and the first thing they see is this Shiny dome and a, a gentleman <laughs> who has no hair and tattooed eyebrows. And they're like, well, am I in the right place?
2: And But a really cute face. So oh, not many guys I, <laughs> look good with tattooed eyebrows. And, yeah. Thank you,
3: Bobby. Yeah, so my, my story and what, what sort of partially led me on this path is uh, I was diagnosed at the age of eight with alopecia areata. When people refer to alopecia, that's generally meaning hair loss. But alopecia areata is a specific form of hair loss that's an autoimmune condition. So basically, my body and people who have this condition, our body's immune system gets confused. And instead of attacking bad things like viruses and bacteria and, God forbid, cancers, it attacks our own selves, our our own auto self. And so in my case, it attacks it very efficiently, and, and I have no hair. So I have a form of alopecia areata called alopecia universalis, which is a more extreme form. Of course,
2: you had to get the better one. Of course. Of course.
3: Well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. Yeah. But it it was an evolving process. And so when I was first diagnosed, what, what I remember... Uh, or constructed at this point in life, is that when I was eight years old, my father took me to the barber, and, and the barber pointed out a, a quarter-sized bald patch. And I've heard a lot of patients mm. tell me that story, kind of that uh, an initial, original patch. And then I don't really remember it until I was around 12 or so. Coincidentally, I was diagnosed with some form of Crohn's. At
2: 12?
3: Uh, yep. Wow. And, and so I was on steroids at that point, which is one of the treatments for alopecia. so probably masked the progression to later on. And then I remember through high school and junior high and high school, just sort of kind of having various patches of loss. I would uh, go to dermatologists. It's one of the reasons I'm in dermatology is one of my mentors, one of the doctors I was seeing, Dr. Larry Miller, who passed about a year ago, he, he evolved into a very close friend of mine and he guided me into his condition. And I used to go to him every six weeks for shots and light therapy. And as you could tell, nothing really helped, but he, he really provided me with a lot of comfort. Basically, from about 12 to 16, 17 or so, I had patchy hair loss. And then I remember distinctly my senior year of high school. I was in the middle of a soccer game. My brother was there, and uh, I remember coming off the sidelines and sweating, and I and I wiped my face, and this shocked look came over his face and some of my teammates I kind of had wiped off like half my brow. Oh. I didn't quite know that till the game was over. Uh, obviously devastating, and you mm. don't really know, you know where to go with that. So I started doing shots of cortisone in the eyebrows, which— it helped. The cortisone shots that I was getting from from Dr. Miller, I would grow a patch of hair back and then I would develop another patch. And it's sort of like chasing your tail. As things progressed, I started losing eyelashes right before starting college. So kind of a, you know, tough, tough way to start freshman year. Yeah. I, it kind of went into, I'm actually remission. I did a treatment when I was around 23 that grew on my hair back, on my scalp. What was, kind of treatment? So, yes, yeah, so that's one of the things I want to touch on. It, it was basically, it's uh, called immunotherapy. And you apply a substance, a chemical, to the scalp that causes a mild irritation. And the concept is, is that you're creating an inflammatory response on the skin that draws the inflammatory cells from the hair follicle away and takes it somewhere else. So There's like a better party for the inflammatory cells to go to. And it allows the hair to grow. And it worked for me, but it then stopped working. And unfortunately, that's somewhat the case with a lot of the treatments for this specific form of hair loss. Is that Sometimes things work for one person and don't work for another person, or sometimes things work, and then they stop working. And then after that treatment, all of a sudden, in med school, over a one-month period of time, I, I lost about 70% of my hair. Stress? I was on a particularly tough and challenging rotation at that time. Kind of can't stop. You can't just not show up for rounds and things of that nature. And then next thing I know, I was down to about 10%. And then it was time to, you know, just shave off the last little wisps. And since then, I've had the clean look that you see.
2: Do you have any hair on your head? Like, do you have to shave it at all or now it's nothing?
3: I, I, I occasionally will get a wisp of, of hair, which is kind of funny. You don't it, try
2: to comb it over <laughs> Exactly.
3: Yeah. It's sort of like this little, like, snoopy hair that goes up. And my, my daughter gets excited and uh-huh. it's funny, but she wants to pluck it out right when uh-huh. it comes. But the, the thing that was the best for me, ironically, is that after I lost it all, and everybody was like you know wow you look so good or oh this is it. and it was sort of like this kind of coming out type situation where i was like oh gosh like how different and awkward must i have looked over all this time and nobody wanted to say anything and now it was like a chance for everybody to be like this is good and Embr- embrace this so it's kind of like finally not having to fight or worry about, is this patch going to come? Is this going to grow back? It was sort of like, all right, this this is it. This is who I am. This is down to the core. Obviously still working on that. But, uh, but I
2: think there's a couple actors that finally just took their hair pieces off. I don't know. Was it John Travolta? I don't remember. And it's like, you know what? So what? Exa- it's okay. Exactly.
3: Exactly. It's okay. For me, I'd say, you know, back then, it was probably Michael Jordan was one of the mm. few people that, you know, could really rock that look. You know, it was hard growing up with this type of condition. And nowadays I look around and I'm like, wait a second, And I had to have so much grief growing up with this. Now everybody just has my look. And when did
2: you get your eyebrows tattooed?
3: So approximately 21, 22, my aunts took me around to some makeup artists. We were trying to get the right brow color and stencils and shapes. And it was horrendous. And I was actually trying to draw my brows on. I'm not very artistic in that sense. And came upon somebody who's a phenomenal cosmetic makeup artist, and she does the tattooing. And Mm. so since then, I've had it done, and I've had some touch-ups along the way.
2: Well, this is a podcast and no one could see what you look like, but you don't look weird at all. Like, you look normal. Like, you just look like some guy that has, like, a shaved head.
3: Ironically, after so many years of having to explain myself of what I have, ironically, now people come up to me. Like, I remember this when I was interviewing for dermatology positions. I was in Penn Station in a particularly creepy bathroom and this gentleman came up and he was like insistent on finding out what my secret was for shaving my head. He was like, what what magic solution do I use? What blade do I use? What direction or angle do I go in? And I kept insisting on telling him, Uh you know, that this is not something I shave. And I don't think he was completely coherent and he was getting angrier and angrier with my response. I wasn't actually giving him my secret, Uh but I, I have that from time to time. A lot of patients come in and say, what do you do? And I explain this is this is the condition. And what, what's nice about with the role that I play with having so much exposure to patients is that when I tell people that this is not something that I actually chose, but I have this condition, people say, oh, that's interesting. You know, Bob in accounting has this or my next door neighbor's child has this. So it sort of increases awareness.
2: Mm. Yeah. you. I mean, certainly the first person I heard was a, a friend of a friend, a girl who was making mushroom tea, which now turns out to be kombucha, because she Uh, was told that that would help. So I don't know if things like that help. No, There's
3: there's no clinically proven rigorous studies to show that. Uh, A lot of things with the hair are coincidence, sometimes for whatever the reason is, especially with what i have the alopecia out if you get it later in life sometimes it develops as a patch that just spontaneously regrows and we don't know why it happened why things got off kilter and so there's a lot of times spontaneous regrowth can occur and so if you're doing x y and z we sometimes like to attribute it to that but it often isn't the case it just happens
2: So we're going to talk about what works and what doesn't work, in your opinion. But what are the causes of hair loss, particularly in women?
3: Absolutely. So you can break down the causes in terms of inflammatory and non-inflammatory. That's one way of looking at it. In terms of inflammatory conditions, they're, they're rare. So we talked about what I have, the alopecia areata. There's rarer conditions, something called lichen planopolaris, or a variation of that called frontal fibrosing alopecia, which is being diagnosed a little bit more. And women come in with often a very itchy or painful scalp, in a particular type of hair loss, which is clinically recognizable. You want to treat that sooner rather than later because it's actually a scarring form of hair loss. It's another way of categorizing hair loss between scarring and non-scarring, meaning the hair follicles themselves are scarred down. And if they're scarred from the inflammation, you're not going to grow more hair through that follicle, through that opening. So you really want to treat that early. Rarer forms of alopecia can be seen in patients that have lupus. And so same thing, you want to prevent that from scarring. So in terms of the inflammatory scarring alopecias, we we have that category. Then we have the more common categories. So the majority of women that come to see me have female pattern hair loss, otherwise known as androgenetic alopecia. And just like we all know, there's male pattern hair loss. We've known that for a long time. Female pattern hair loss does exist, and it's just represented under recognized and not talked about as much.
2: But I also see a lot of women that they don't necessarily have, you know, the bald pattern, but they just have really thin hair where you could see their scalp. Yes. Like, what is that from?
3: It's a diffuse form of hair loss. And it's basically men and women, they have different ways of balding. They have different patterns. So the pattern you're describing with that diffuse hair loss and sort of the the part gets wider and the central scalp and a little bit of the temporal recession, that's usually how women have their balding pattern and their hair loss pattern compared to men. Just going back to touch on it, another form of hair loss, which is very common in both genders, but I see it more in female patients, is something called telogen effluvium. And that's when you have rapid shedding of the hair. So a lot of times you see it or you hear about it after pregnancy, a couple months later, you might have a rapid shedding, a diffuse shedding of hair. And it's very alarming because you're in the shower and clumps of hair are coming out or you're seeing it in the sink or in the uh, hairbrush or on the bed. And it can happen after any type of shock to the body. So any type of stress. So pregnancy is very stressful or a surgery or a, a big stress, not, you know, daily stresses and nuisances, but something like death in the family, loss of a job, a divorce, rapid weight loss, any type of restrictive diets. That can lead to telogen effluvium. You also need to make sure when you're seeing somebody with hair loss, they don't have underlying medical conditions. So thyroid disease is a very common condition, especially in women. About 10% of women will develop some form of thyroid abnormality, and that could lead to hair changes. And then just uh, going down the the list of things, you want to rule out any new medications, want to rule out any nutritional deficiencies, which are really rare in in this country, thank goodness. But there are times when people are iron deficient uh, or have deficiencies in other things. But it's not as common.
2: But isn't hormones, like people always say, check your hormones. Are your hormones okay?
3: Exactly. So that ties back into, so what is androgenetic alopecia? So andro refers to hormones, basically mainly testosterone specifically. And androgenetic, genetic means just that. It's the luck of the draw, the roll of the dice, how we were born. So as women mature, they have less estrogen and the testosterone levels don't increase, but they, they play more of a role. So testosterone is what's responsible, and, and the byproducts of testosterone are what are responsible for causing hair miniaturization and uh, decreased hair growth and, and the thinning that we see in both men and women. And so with men, we we do have decreased testosterone as we mature. Women, you have decreased estrogen and more of an effect of the testosterone. That's not necessarily more testosterone, but just more relative effect of the testosterone. And so you don't necessarily have to have hyper-testosterone, so a lot of times if you check the labs, all the labs look fine, but the effects of the testosterone around the hair follicle are more susceptible at a later age. Additionally, the genetic, and we don't know the exact combination of things that lead to baldness, but we do know there's receptors and there's molecules, and some people are more sensitive to the effects of testosterone. And I bring that up because sometimes we see female pattern hair loss. Unfortunately, I have patients that come in their 20s or 30s, and you can have premature both male and female pattern hair loss. And so it's not just something that occurs later in life. But about 50% of women after the age of 50 do have some noticeable signs of female pattern hair loss.
2: Okay, so what could these women do? Like, who who could expect to get a benefit and who really shouldn't bother?
3: And we, we always want to have an answer. And mm-hmm. usually there's not a, a good answer. And that's unfortunate because human beings like control and like to be able to blame things. So often you, you, you can't predict. And so some people come in and say, you know, my mom and my dad have full heads of hair and I have this. And well doesn't always work like that. But it's not uncommon that women will come in and say, I have a couple aunts or my mother had very thin hair and they're in their 80s. And I I just I don't want to end up like that. And that's one of the things that will bring them in to initiate treatment. So one of the things in terms of trying to create a treatment plan is is education, affirming that what they have is normal because a lot of women come in and they think they're the only ones suffering from this. And also it's it's a stressful period because it does sort of indicate that we're getting a little bit more mature. I keep using that mature yeah, word exactly. instead of, you know, older.
2: Well, because, you know, no one talks about women's hair loss. Exactly. It's all men's hair loss. Exactly. On a personal note, when I first noticed things were changing for my hair, you know, I I didn't understand it. You know, I didn't know anyone else that had this issue. And it turns out two things were happening to me personally. One is my hair is 100% white. No one out there who knows what I look like can even imagine what I would look like with white hair. I've been coloring my hair since I'm 25. And apparently, the the hair follicle is thinner when it's gray, correct?
3: It can appear thinner.
2: Yeah, so I have, you know, less density in yeah. my hair. But then I also was finding that that I was getting, you know, some spaces in my hair without the hair growth. So, you know, I freaked. I'm in the public eye. You know, I'm someone that actually, I'm my beauty is always like all about my hair, <laughs> you know, my skin and my hair. And it was kind of scary. So I went to see you and, you know, you automatically gave me this treatment, PRP. Yes. So would you, and I have to say, it worked. It was a little painful, a little expensive, but yep. so worth it. But could you tell everyone what it is?
3: Certainly. So PRP is one of the most recent and newest advances in medicine and specifically hair loss. So PRP stands for platelet-rich plasma. So the platelets are these bags. They're technically not even cells, but they're these bags that are floating through our bloodstream. And when we get injured, either internally or externally, the platelets, they rupture and they release all these growth factors and regenerative molecules. And these things... Things help promote tissue healing. And so originally, PRP was used in athletes. And before going to surgery, some interesting orthopedists started playing around with the PRP and injecting it into these injured joints. And they found that it was able to push off patients' need for surgery. So in the lab and elsewhere, people started saying, Well, what else can platelets do? And we started using it for collagen rejuvenation on the face. And then some early pioneers started using it in practice. And then about Four years ago, I said, "Hey, you know, this this is interesting. I'm not quite sure why exactly this would work, but it's it's the science is looking good." And so I said, "I have to start trying it." And so I started trying it on some patients, and and lo and behold, I, I saw results. Now, now, what do results mean? And this is part of understanding. Is I always tell patients that no matter what you do, whether it's PRP or other treatments, when you are having hair loss, you you can only think about hair growth. How how can I get more growth? And what you forget is that how do you stop the loss? How do you minimize the loss? How do you minimize the thinness and the shedding? So that's success if you can do that. It's a harder thing to see. But about 50% of patients will get an increase in hair thickness and density and some regrowth with PRP.
2: 50%.
3: 50. Five, zero, 50. In, in, in what I've seen. Now, yeah. that's just in, in my use of it and what I've seen amongst my patients. There's Unfortunately, currently, there's no definitive case-controlled randomized studies. They are coming, but it's not there quite yet. But I started doing it and I went from saying, okay, this seems like it could work to, yes, this is this works and, and I can now offer this consciously <laughs> that I, I know that this is something that I can promote to patients and give them an option. Before PRP, I used to say, okay, we have Rogaine and we could potentially do some oral medications and then there's hair transplant. And and there was nothing in between. Mm. People are like, well, I don't want to get a fifteen thousand dollars hair transplant, and, and it's generally safe, but there's some invasive things involved that people do. You know, it, it it works and it's great, but it's end of the road.
2: And do you think Rogaine works?
3: Rogaine is a benefit for slowing the process down. I do not think it quote unquote works in regrowth. And I don't think it has a big wow effect, but it's something that does benefit in terms of slowing the progression. The PRP results are more beneficial when you're using the Rogaine. Rogaine alone, I do try to get people to to start that, but by itself, I'm not super impressed. So some people come in and say, I don't want to do Rogaine because it's a pain to do and, you know, it's I have to do it's it at night. Messy and, it's messy. Yeah. It's messy. But, you know, in PRP, it's natural. And people like that. It's, it's your platelets. There are no side effects short of some of the discomfort that you 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 can attest to. Uh, you know, I like to say in terms of the pain, talking about that, it, it's like the gym. You know, you're not going to stay in good shape unless you, you expend some effort. If 10 is the worst pain of your life and 1 is a nothing – I tell patients it's probably about a 2 to 3 out of 10.
2: I would oh. I would give it a 6. <laughs> I mean, no, it hurts. It, it hurts. It But it's not that—I mean, look, I've done it because I did the first series, yeah. which was, what, five times?
3: And the way I do it, I do one treatment per month for four months. That's what I call the loading phase. where We try to jumpstart uh, the hair follicles. And then I recommend a maintenance phase, usually every four months. Sometimes people can push it to six months. And so it's like two to three times per year for the maintenance.
2: Right. And what does it normally cost? I know it, it varies where you live.
3: It, it it varies. And so...
2: You're in New Jersey, not New York. So, so yeah, yeah so, it's not so, as bad as New York. Exactly.
3: Sure. So New York, you know, things are everything's more expensive here. I charge $700. And basically, I, I'm a true believer that it's the platelets that are doing the heavy lifting and having the results. There's a lot of things out there where people say uh, PRP with stem cells. Uh, stem cells haven't quite made it to real life. They're in the lab and there's great potential of them, but there's no such thing as really true stem cells out there. I don't personally believe that those things help any more than just sort of being able to charge more. That's mm. that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, I also don't want to outprice anybody. I know it is pricey, but I feel like that's a good price point for many people to be able to get it. And and there's so many people suffering from it.
2: I'm definitely a believer, but you don't believe in biotin or any of that stuff, do you?
3: The studies have never played out. The whole biotin story, so to speak, comes from back in the day, whatever you you want to describe that as, 1800s, 1900s, when we didn't have as rich of a diet. If you had a biotin deficiency and it was diagnosed, so you'd have a lot of hair loss and then you would have biotin-rich foods and things and you'd grow your hair back. And so I so, said, wow, this is amazing. This is a magic cure. So somebody was smart and said, well, everybody has hair loss and they all want to take biotin. You know, they want something to do. So that's where the biotin market came.
2: I you, make a I make a biotin gummy and, you know, I eat it every day. I still have hair. And people tell me that they've noticed their hair like coming in. You know, I, I can only hope that it's true.
3: I will never tell somebody, you know, to not take it in the sense it's not harmful it's more just that I can't recommend it because it hasn't been proven to be the case in a scientific way.
2: Right, Like most supplements. Like, like most supplements. Right.
3: Exactly. Most supplements yep. get peed out. There is actually a recent study showing that too much biotin can actually affect certain lab tests. So if you're taking high doses of biotin and you go get certain routine blood work from your primary care doctor, those tests might be altered if you're taking too much biotin.
2: Oh, so, well, we tell people to only eat two gummies, and I know there's people that eat exactly. six and eight of them. So,
3: so I won't tell you to yeah. not take your gummies. Okay. You know, if you want, you can. You know, and maybe it does work for some and maybe it doesn't for others. But a lot of times people, we, we want something to do.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. For
3: instance, an analogy is when I'm doing skin cancer surgery, people come back and say, hey, I want I want something to put on my scar. And there's certain things you can recommend, usually silicone sheeting and and, and things of that nature. But a lot of times your body is pretty amazing and it's healing. And people come back and say, oh, I use this product and it got, you know, my scar went away. It's more your scar went away because it was well sutured and your body just did what it was supposed to do.
2: Oh, I don't know. I, I I might disagree with the doctor. <laughs> I'm I'm only an honorary doctor, but um, I find <laughs> so see it. you know whether you put vitamin E on something or some kind of ointment that
3: you you are correct. You are correct. It's not vitamin E, and that's another myth that I'm going to dispel now. Vitamin E actually can cause a contact dermatitis. Vitamin E keeps the the wound moist and so we found that it's not the vitamin e per se Uh, you can use vaseline which can keep the area moist so moist wounds moist scars and things of that nature hydrated skin heals better and that's sort of the concept of silicone sheeting silicone sheeting creates sort of a micro environment where it's more moist and things of that nature are going on
4: don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's dot acom forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.
2: All right, well, we learned a lot about hair. Now let's go to skin. Okay, because you treat people's skin what's the biggest complaint when people come in
3: so at this time of year you see a lot of dry skin once again as we mature our skin uh, i'm starting to see it too our, our legs and our skin elsewhere gets very dry and very scaly and we don't like that. And sometimes, not just dry and scaly, sometimes it becomes itchy. You can get these little patches of the eczema that form. So that's a seasonal thing. So you see that pretty frequently. Of course, acne is one of the top diagnoses we always see. And we, we, we see a lot of that year-round.
2: And what is adult acne caused by?
3: So adult acne, especially female adult acne, which is usually who gets the adult acne, is hormonally driven. I saw a woman today who had a clear complexion all throughout her teenage years and early 20s, and now she's breaking out. And, and the adult female acne usually has this characteristic picture, doesn't always, but of usually kind of the cystic little bumps underneath mm. the skin, they're they're often hard to get rid of, and they're usually on the jawline around the mouth. And what's shown is that that same medication I mentioned before, spironolactone, which is used at times for hair loss, it has a great, great significant effect on adult female acne. So I usually will recommend that over an antibiotic combined with a retinoid. So, so retinoids are the first line, Agent in acne, in any form of acne. What it does is it helps break up all the dead skin cells that are in the follicle. And that's the process that causes acne. We have these dead skin cells. Behind that, you get a backup of oil. Within the oil, you can get bacteria growth and then an inflammatory process. Acne is, there is a bacterial component, but acne is actually an inflammatory process. And the retinoids they hit every level of acne. They open up the pores. They decrease oil size and oil production. So you're not as greasy. So you can't have as much bacterial growth. And they also do have some effects on the bacteria. So retinoids are the first line agent for any form of acne. Retinoids also slow down the breakdown of collagen. So there's an enzyme that naturally breaks down the collagen we have. And on the molecular level, retinoids help minimize the effect of that enzyme so it keeps our collagen more plumped and more around and retinoids can help with fine lines and dark spots and just overall complexion and rosy glows.
2: How do we keep the collagen, or can you?
3: So patients come in and they say, you know, I was at X, Y, and Z store, and I saw all these things on the shelves. What should I do for my skin? So the two things I always recommend, two things I'd, I'd love to have every patient on, and I have my wife on it and my mom on it and myself. So sunscreen Anytime you're going to be outside for a significant period of time. You have to remember, not just during summertime. If, you know, it's April and you're going outside for, you know, 45 minutes here and there, all that sun adds up. When we're in our 60s and 70s and 80s, we we see those effects. Sometimes earlier, of course. If you're going skiing... You know, you have to consider the rims of the ears, the nose, those areas get burned pretty, pretty easily. Top
2: of your head. Top
3: of your head. So sunscreen for any significant sun exposure you can have. And then at nighttime, I I recommend some form of a retinoid because the retinoids are really just great for rejuvenation, cell turnover. And we talked about the decrease in collagen breakdown and the fine lines and dark spots.
2: And is that a prescription or non-prescription?
3: I think the prescription strength products work better. There are retinol products that are on the market and they work fine enough. But if you're going to do something, I, I would go for the actual product that technically works better. But some people don't have time to go to see the doctor and get a prescription. So if you do something, a retinol-based product is a benefit. And you have to make sure that you're not overusing it. It's one of those things where less is more. Use it just so you get the benefits.
2: Could you put it under your eyes or not? So
3: you can be put it very, very sparingly. It's not recommended to do that much of it or to use a very high strength. I would, when I use retinoids, I moisturize first. And then I take a pea-sized amount and spread it to my entire face. Mm-hmm. Underneath my eyes, I might do it like once or twice a week, a very small amount. Sometimes when I see my mom, she's scaling in what's called the nasal labial <laughs> folds from, right. from the nose to uh, to the lips. And she's like, I'm using that cream, but why am I getting this? And I'm like, are you just putting it like right in that area because that's where you have a lot of volume loss and you're trying to stimulate collagen uh, formation? She's like, yep. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, that's uh, not how you want to do it.
2: And what about uh, rosacea? I have a lot of people that say, what do I do about my rosacea?
3: Sure. So rosacea is is a frustrating condition, uh, and rosacea is sort of a, a cousin of acne. Some people refer to rosacea as acne rosacea. It's a combination of inflammation where you get the red bumps. And a vascular condition where people's blood vessels are just more sensitive. We know spicy foods and red wines and citrus fruits, things like that, you know, things that we, we enjoy can cause the blood vessels to open. And so we get a combination of flushing and redness as well as bumps. Some people have both those components. Some people just have the red. Some people just have the bumps. So there's a lot of things you could do. Topical medications, some of the same ones you'd use for Acne. And then we also use anti-inflammatories. There's some medications that work like steroids, but are safer than steroids that are of benefit. And then some people come in for just the redness, and there's some molecules that are specifically meant to clamp down the blood vessels topically to help get rid of the redness temporarily. And at times we use lasers. Lasers actually work the best for the redness of rosacea.
2: Like what lasers?
3: There's vascular lasers, and lasers work ba- based on wavelength and what they target. There's lasers that have a 585 and 595 wavelength. There's one laser in particular that I like called the V-beam laser. There's another one called XLV, which really help target those blood vessels and uh, basically makes the blood vessels go away, makes you less red.
2: I think lasers are amazing.
3: Lasers are amazing. And people come in, they say, I want a laser. There's so many different uses of them. It's not just one laser.
2: How much of your practice is lasers?
3: Uh, I'd say about 25 to 30% of my practice mm-hmm. is uh, cosmetic, and within that I do a fair amount of lasers. Okay.
2: Some, some people, that's their entire business.
3: Exactly. Some people, yeah. and, and we owe a debt of gratitude to those people because right. a lot of those often are doing the trials to prove mm-hmm. the efficacy of those lasers.
2: Uh-huh. All right. Well, let's talk about wrinkles, or I like to call them lines. Lines. So there's like— Character there's, lines. Right. So what could you do about lines in the face?
3: So, so lines in the face, depends where in the face. And so if we're talking about most commonly the, we call them the elevens, those lines in between the brows, that region is called the glabella. And there's three muscles there that when we use that over years and years and decades, they start to make those muscles, they create creases in the skin. So... Lines in the glabella region, between the brows and the forehead lines, and what we call the crow's feet around the eyes, Botox is the best medication for that. And I love Botox.
2: I hate Botox. So <laughs> we're gonna have a, <laughs> what, what we're don't you like have, about it? We're gonna have a debate. Number right, one, right. it's botulism. Yeah. It's poison. Sure. So you're putting it in your face. Indeed. Okay. It's got to go somewhere. It's got to end up in the brain. It's got to—it it doesn't just, like, go into thin air. It's
3: an interesting perspective, and, and that's what people do. Think. Right. But it is created from botulinum toxin, and mm-hmm. basically it's so diluted out. Mm-hmm. It's so diluted out, it has no adverse effects like eating a bag, like
2: micro dosing heroin. Uh, yeah, you can. Okay.
3: <laughs> well, well, we do that for pain, and, and you know, God forbid, when somebody has cancer, we're using poisonous substances mm-hmm. to try to eradicate that. Now, not comparing obviously right. cancer and and right. cosmetics, but it's it's basically we are using such a micro dose. If you want to look at it, that mm-hmm. it, it is safe. So it's not like you're eating a old can of beans that you found and you're eating getting a whole dose of botulum that will kill you.
2: All right, so I I've done it a, a couple times. And when it first came out, I must have been in my 40s. And we didn't know, you know, if it was good, if it was bad. It just came out. I had two of the worst side effects ever. Brow I drop? Said, I had a brow drop once. And my husband thought I was having a stroke. And I never admitted to him that it was Botox. <laughs> and the other time I had, a, you know, an eyebrow that like shot yes, up. Yes, the spock brow. And I went to like the best New York derms of that you course. can go to. It just—and I'm like, all right, God is telling me something, and I just stop. That's one thing, okay? Yep, so I've had yep. bad—I've also seen so many women—I've seen really good Botox, okay? Yes. But I've seen so many women who have this, in, like, intense, shiny forehead. Yes. And the rest of their face and body is wrinkled.
3: <laughs> and it doesn't— <laughs> exactly. and it, it doesn't just match. Looks it looks weird. It, it does look weird. So
2: when you get to a certain age, like— it just doesn't work.
3: So I, I agree with you. Let's address the, the side effects. So yeah. anything can have potential side effects. So basically how botulinum toxin works or Botox is it basically it causes the muscles that make facial expression – it minimizes their movement, you know. So some people say paralyzes them. It paralyzes it. It it. It stops it. It It doesn't make a complete paralysis unless you use a large dose. Yes,
2: until it leaves your body, then you start moving again.
3: And it's a protein. It's basically, it's a protein that's taken up by a receptor and that protein breaks down over time over the next couple months. So it doesn't stay in your body. It doesn't eat away at your brain. It doesn't do anything. That's definitely been proven. Mm -hmm. That should lay your concerns there. It doesn't work like that. You get Botox every four to six months. Some people do it even more frequently for decades. And you're you're not going to have any long-term side effects. But even in the best of hands, you can get a brow drop. Basically, there's a muscle around the eye called you know, the bicularis oculi. And so if you put it too close to the brow, you will get that brow drop. But sometimes there's even diffusion. Even in the best of hands, people know their anatomy. You can inject it and you can get the Botox going in a place that gives you a spock or give you a drop. But I always tell patients, you know, it doesn't happen frequently, but it is a risk.
2: And now they're putting Botox under the chin for necks.
3: So there's there's something called platysma bands that you, you sort of see when people, when they clench down on their mm-hmm. teeth, you could see those bands, especially if somebody is very thin and, and that can release those muscle bands. There's a muscle down in the lower face. If you put a little Botox, it can give you a little upward turn of the smile. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, of Botox, but if you can do aging gracefully, it's perfect. And I, I'm an advocate for that. And I wish I could be more like that. When you do these things, you have to do them conservatively. I, I call it like the newscaster look. And and it's it's a look. You see these people on TV and they're frozen like they are just completely frozen. And I personally do not like that look. I hate that look. And it looks like they're done. They don't look natural. There's no expression.
2: And how many actresses do you see? And you're like, "Who? I can't even tell yeah. if that's who it is."
3: And 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 that happens. And that sometimes happens a at Stage of life, yeah. and I feel for people. That's that's their career, and they're they're so wrapped up in what what they look like. I can empathize with that because you know, I, just with my hair loss, right. so I can imagine as an actor or somebody who's in the public eye and you have it and you're a certain look at one point and then all of a sudden you're, you're changing and you don't, you try to capture that. And sometimes you overjump it. And when you overjump it, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, an overdone eye job or too much filler and yeah. cheek implants, it all can yeah. be done well. And, and right. I have many colleagues that do, do it amazingly well, but some people think that, you know, go, go big or go home. And I think there's, like, this over-lasered look, this over-botox, over-filled, over-lasered look. And just like you are saying, it's like people, they they might look, quote-unquote, good, but it almost doesn't look natural.
2: But I I think of it like when I'm weeding my garden, okay, you're making it look better, but, like, where do you stop? Where does the (laughs) obsession—when am I done? It's true. And it's the same thing on your face. It's like, you know, okay, I'll do this, I'll do a little bit of this, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, that's not working, let me do this too. And then all of a sudden— what do you do? You're in your yeah. sixties, seventies.
3: So there's a high degree of, of body dysmorphic syndrome and facial dysmorphic syndrome and people trying to chase after every single do you see this crease? Do you see this this wrinkle? And it, it's a serious thing. And I will tell people, you really don't need this. I actually think that you should not be pushing things that people don't need and, and put the brakes on it when, when they need it.
2: Yeah. But I also think there's a certain time in your life where you just have to say, OK, <laughs> OK, I'm not that anymore. This yeah. is who I am now. In hospice, man. Yeah. No, no. no, no. And, you know, um, I mean, look, I I plan to be, you know, a grandmother one day. Yeah. You know, I don't want to look like one, but Listen,
3: you, 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 it's OK. You, you look great personally. And 20, yeah. 25 years ago, 20, yeah. these products weren't around. You know, collagen was the the first filler out there even actually silicone was the first filler out oh, there God. yeah believe it or not and it was actually a decent filler but
2: except now all these women have to take their silicones out because it's yeah. affecting their body
3: that's a different you know, type I'm a of holi- makeup, yeah but
2: no but i'm a holistic health coach because i really do yeah. believe that you have to be a little careful of what you're constantly putting in your I agree.
3: body uh, c- completely i agree and you know tying into the, the hormones and yeah and Girls are having their periods earlier. Yeah, we, we, you have to be careful of what we're putting in, what we're consuming, what's in our environment. No, no doubt. So these things weren't around before. And so people did age gracefully. Right. And there's a lot to be said for that. When used correctly and in moderation, like everything, you can make that case for everything. These products, whether it's fillers, lasers, Botox, or, or other uh, approaches, can provide a certain person benefit.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. I will I will accept that and I do believe that it's okay to contour if you're someone that wants to contour your face. I don't like contouring, that's okay. We're allowed to have different things and I'm Absolutely. I am I'm also very excited cuz I think there's going to be more things on the horizon that will help and I know one day there's going to be a laser that gets rid of, you know, that eleven between your between your brow, so yeah, I will. Yeah, it. I will. I will sign up for that. I'll keep it posted. Thank you. And what do you think about the, you know, the body treatments? Like, do you think, you know, whatever those things are called that gets rid of the fat cells? whatever, are
3: well, CoolSculpt uh, CoolSculpting? And all yeah, those. I mean, they, do they work? They they work. Once again, you know, work is always you gotta. You know, really encapsulate what work means. You you can't come in and be obese and say CoolSculpt me, and you know you're gonna walk out with a six pack. CoolSculpt is really specifically meant for somebody who isn't relatively decent shape for their age. But, you know, the the hormones are slowing down and they've got certain pockets of fat. they got, you know, the love handles and the spare tire and the thighs and things of that nature. And they're like, this is annoying. I go to the gym, you know, five times uh, a week and I can't get rid of it. So CoolSculpt is helpful for that. Once again, when you get CoolSculpt, it's not like you just grab this pocket of fat and it just all goes away. You'll have about a 30% reduction with each treatment you do. And so there there are benefits Thirty
2: percent is pretty good. It is good. It's painful though, right?
3: It can be. Yeah. Once again, I'm gonna believe, you know, pain yeah, is uh right. pain is pain. Mine there, never matter. There's
2: cool sculpt, there's two different ones.
3: The cooling technique basically is based on if you cool the fat cells to such a degree, you, you kill the fat cells. And one fat cells are sort of like their finite amount. So once they're gone, they're gone. You know, what happens when you, you know, put on the weight again, you'll 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 add the fat to a those.
2: different area well right? to the
3: cells that persist it's not like okay. going to get rid of every single right. but so there's the, the cooling and then there's the heating uh, they both work well, by, by working you have to sort of meet with somebody and really assess your goals and really have a realistic goal So have a nutrition plan a workout plan and then basically you can do these other things there's another technique out there called uh, Sculpt, which actually causes these micro contractions and can tone muscles that's for a very unique group of people why? Well, because it, it, it you have to be in good shape, once again, if you have yeah. too much adipose, too much fat covering your muscles. So it's meant for somebody who's in really good shape, who just needs to, who wants to get toned up. I mean, personally, I think it's somebody who's probably a model or an actor. Or,
2: okay, so now I've got a speed round of questions. the way. All right. What's the last thing you ate?
3: <laughs> uh, cheese sandwich.
2: What's your drink of choice?
3: I hate to admit this. Uh, Diet Pepsi. Oh! <gasps> I know. My Diet wife.
2: Pepsi. I was talking about tequila and vodka or uh, wine. I was going to get to that. Diet Pepsi. <laughs> was... All right, now your health coach is starting. Okay, I'm taking over this I episode. Know. Please. No Diet Pepsi. I'm
3: trying to cut, I'm really trying to cut back. My wife refuses to buy it for me. Good. She knows. How I, many? Do you I drink, know it's unhealthy. Do you drink coffee? I, I do.
2: You do. I do. Okay. I'm
3: a big fan of coffee. I'm a big so, believer
2: in caffeine. So, you, Okay, caffeine's fine, but there's green tea, yes. there's espresso. No, I mean, you know, I know you're a, a guy that likes chemicals, but it's, <laughs> That and you like science? Go read. I know, I know. Go read about the science. Denial. Right, it's denial. Great.
3: But T- but I, I uh, my my drink of choice is vodka.
2: Vodka. Okay. How do you drink it?
3: Like martini up with blue cheese olives. It's oh, my nice. Favorite.
2: Nice. What's your personal skincare routine?
3: L- Less is more. I use a moisturizer, sunscreen in the morning, and which sun- one? <laughs> Whatever's in my drawer, usually some form of a sample that somebody wants me to try. And then in the evening, I if I remember, I am a guy at the end of the day. I try to do some form of a retinoid a couple times a week, maybe.
2: What do you think a skincare item that most women don't have but need?
3: Some form of a retinoid. Uh, I'll tell you a skincare item that I, I hate that women have two things. I, I'm not a big fan of exfoliators. Okay, I think exfoliating is actually quite bad. Or routine exfoliating, I think, dries out the skin and can possibly cause more uh, acne and more uh, dryness and decreased glow, so to speak. Mm. And second thing is the magnifying mirror.
2: Oh gosh!
3: Now, you for what you yep. do, you you probably advocate. I don't. You, well, for putting on makeup, I, I imagine. don't. No? I
2: don't. I don't believe in magnifying mirrors. I believe in skinny mirrors. I believe in good well, light mirrors. I'm glad to hear that. I never look at a mirror in a in an airplane. Bathroom. A magnifying
3: mirror. Okay. One of my professors no. back in training at Tulane used to say, "Do you have a magnifying mirror at home?" And, and if uh, you answered yes, you would say, "Throw it out." That's the first thing you have to do because nobody sees you like that. Right. You take that magnifying mirror, you're like, "Oh my God, what's yeah. going on?" You
2: don't look like that either. <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. You don't look you like don't. that. You don't. So <laughs> I
3: wish women would get rid of that. Okay. And men too.
2: So when you talk about exfoliating, do you mean just a washcloth, a loofah, or are you talking about scrubs? Or are you talking about you know whatever those treatments are yep. that gets your cells off? So I'm not, I'm not against
3: all exfoliation. If you have like one of those Clarisonic brushes or, or a competitor of that, if you do that from time to time, once a week, once every two weeks, it's not horrible. But some people come in and I, I say, you know, what, what treatments or medication are you using? And they say, well, I exfoliated. I bought this exfoliator at CVS and I bought this. And 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 they're actually, they're physically, they think the acne is caused by dirt. And so they're physically scrubbing and rubbing and they're using loofahs and they're, they're just stripping away the natural moisturizing elements of the skin. And they're creating irritation and it makes their skin more prone to acne. So that's what I mean by exfoliating. You know, there's a role for chemical peels. There's a role for exfoliating, but not exfoliating in a way that's too harsh and too frequent.
2: So you're probably not a fan of the Obagi method, which is purely exfoliating.
3: Nah. It's a little rough. It's a little rough. Yeah. Moderation.
2: Moderation. Okay. So tell me if these things are worth it in your opinion. Facials.
3: My opinion, people ask me, oh, do, you know, what do you think about facials? I think facials are like massages. So, you know, if you have back pain or you have a serious orthopedic issue, if you get a massage, it's not going to address the underlying issue, but it'll make you feel good. I think the same thing with facials.
2: How about sheet masks?
3: Not a huge fan of masks. I think they do more harm than good, but people think they're doing something.
2: How about facial rollers, those new jade rollers, whatever those are you see all yeah. over Instagram?
3: I'm not not a big fan. There's something called derma rolling too that I was interviewed on in the past. People like to be physically involved in their regimens. And so, and they feel like they're doing something. Or like back in the day, they used to have like those clenchers, you could like do the, the muscle exercises. And so, I don't believe in a lot of those things.
2: Yeah. Facial exercises, do they work?
3: In theory, I mean, you're, if you're stimulating the muscles of facial expression, but it would have to be such a amount of facial movements. In reality, no, it does not work.
2: Okay. Well, this is really interesting, and I want to make sure that I get a prescription for retinoids Absolutely. before before the day's done. <laughs> but where could people find you?
3: So I practice in northern New Jersey, primarily in Livingston, but I, I run between a number of different offices because I do skin cancer surgery in a few different offices. But two of the days per week, I'm in uh, Livingston doing cosmetic dermatology, hair loss, and some of the general derm.
2: And no Instagram?
3: <laughs> I, should have, uh, I should have Instagram. I'm sort of in that funny generation where I... Uh, I know Facebook. I can email and do things of that nature.
2: Well, your daughter, hopefully, will be coming up and she could do it. She
3: might develop the newest one. (laughs) Uh,
2: Exactly. But this is really informative, and I really appreciate that you came in. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bobby. I appreciate you having me. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.